O Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. So, our reading this week, uh, the epistle reading from 1 Corinthians, uh, was quite providential. I just led 12 hours of 1 Corinthians this week, and uh, I, I did not, in fact, force the groups to only be in chapter 12 to do my sermon prep for me, uh, though in hindsight, that wouldn't have been a bad use of anyone's time. Um, <laughs> but uh, every one of the groups in my teaching life got to that chapter, and we wrestled with it, but... This week is, is one of those weeks um, where I feel like it was a bit of a fire hose uh, from the scriptural text. There was so much going on uh, in each one and so much to ponder and to think about. And, and uh, quite frankly, I just found myself unable to, to only concentrate on one and to think, uh, to only stay in 1 Corinthians 12. But what I noticed, what I was led to think about in these texts this week is words, 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 and perhaps even more words. Now, I traffic in words. Uh, I've probably published nearly a million of them, and I'm uttered millions more as I'm adding to that count right this very moment. And of those many millions more that I've uttered, some mattered, and many have not. Some were offered in charity, others not so much. Some were of things of consequence, and many of them were probably nothing of consequence. There's been a lot of times where that word count should have stayed down, but I couldn't keep my mouth shut, so it crept up. And lately, in spite of Steve and Betsy's best prayers, um, I have not been able to put a certain number of words down on the page that I need to, and so I've missed a publishing deadline, which is very unusual for me. And Stephen Betsy told me the week before I had to write that they were going to pray for me, and then they were dutifully did, and then dutifully asked, how did it go? And I jokingly told them their prayers were not as effectually fervent as perhaps they could have been, or we were all hoping they would be, and Anyway, so I'm behind on a published deadline. I'm going to put more words down on a page, Lord willing, in the days ahead. But words, words, and words. We all traffic in words. Some of us, like I said, get, get perhaps paid to traffic in more words than others. But of course, words are how we communicate. And we get excited when babies say their first words. Um, we're thankful when kids learn words they shouldn't say because they learn them in a place that we are not happy to hear them utter before. Uh, My wife's daycare has taught me that we're thankful sometimes when little kids just learn how to say words correctly, because then the toys they're playing with go from swear words to correct toys. And uh, so words are something that we all deal with. And I mean, God cares about this, obviously, both at least in part because he inspired words, but also he gave us his word. Jesus Christ, right? That, that the Gospel of John tells us that that's the way to think about Jesus. But I want to start with our readings from Nehemiah, the reading from Nehemiah this evening. If you uh, recall or if you've uh, ever spent any time in Nehemiah, it is a, a book that is dedicated to the people coming back to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And in fact, they are so thankful to be back that they don't get along very well. (laughs) They're so thankful to be back to be able to rebuild these walls that it creates conflict. 
So conflict among themselves and conflict with others. And so they, they're a bit of a fractured people, right? They're excited about what's in front of them, but can't quite get on board together completely as to the best way to go about it. And so Nehemiah does the great organizing that he does, and the wall gets rebuilt, um, even though there's hostility from within and without, right? And then the wall is finally done. And when that wall is done, we pick up in chapter 8, which is read for us tonight, all the people gather together as one people. Great, they seem to have overcome their difficulties. They're gathering together as one people. We'll hear that, you know, uh, kind of echoed in the First Corinthians passage. And then they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, right? It's, I love the, the language. They told Ezra to bring the book of the law of Moses. Tell the priest to bring the book of the laws of Moses. So Ezra did. He reads from them, we're told. From early morning until midday, and all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And then there's a break in our reading and apparently a break in their day or something. And then verse 5 picks up, and Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people again. And as he read the law to them again, they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. So they adopted a particular posture in hearing the word of God read to them. And then verse 8, they read from the book, from the law of God, clearly. And they, the interpreters of the law, gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. So they go from reading to interpreting the text, right? I mean, this is, this is a big communal celebration, reading of the word of God, and then interpreting the word of God to the people. But there's a catch-22 in this context because the words that they're hearing are about how they're a chosen people, how God has chosen them, selected them, will bless them, will multiply their blessings, will multiply their numbers, except the reality as they stand and look around is, well, I mean, we rebuilt the wall, but a lot of these words are not coming true, right? So there's a temptation in the hearing of this law and the hearing of the books of the law of Moses and the interpreting of them. Apparently, there's a tempt for everyone to not be joyful, but to begin to weep and mourn. Because verse 9 tells them, do not weep and, or mourn, because this day is holy to the Lord your God. Right? Now, many of us in this parish are readers, Right? And, and I know we read all kinds of different kinds of, of novels. Uh, right now, I'm, well, I'm reading several things, but my fiction reading right now is uh, Vasily Grossman's uh, 20th century account of uh, the Stalinist regime in, the, in World War II in Russia. It's, it's a yet another 850-page Russian novel. There's so many of them. And so, um, so I, as I'm reading this, it's quite fascinating. Um, you know, I know we, I, I can see what some of you are reading by what you post and those kinds of things. And so I know we have all kinds of reading lives. And so we are people that like words. I mean, most of us volunteer to read more of them. A handful of us in this parish, uh, I was going to say make a living, but that's not true. We get the opportunity to put some on a page every now and then and someone publishes and then we pray that someone will read it, right? But in, in this case, these words are they're not just joyful words. They end up being words that cause them to want to weep and to mourn. But they're told not to. Ezra the priest and the scribe and the Levites tell the people, no, you can't do this. In fact, what we're going to do is have a party instead. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who, who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord. 
In other words, the response to these words is to be celebratory. It's to be a celebration. And I imagine it's because they're thinking this is no less true when they were written and uttered by God than they are today. So though we might not be living fully into those promises, these promises are true. Again, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. So instead of lamenting their condition, they are to be encouraged by the words of the law and feast and celebrate as a result of it. So there's lots to say about maybe our response to the hearing of the word of God read, both congregationally, but also in our personal lives, right? There's a lesson to be drawn about what the words of scripture should be doing, that no matter what they are, they should be leading us to a place of both realizing the truthfulness of the words, but expressing itself in a celebration and eating together. I mean, it's hard not to think eucharistically at that point. So one response to, the, to words is, no matter their message, it's to respond in a way, or to respond in the way, perhaps, that God guides and directs. But then just taking our readings in the order in which we read them, now jumping ahead to the psalm, in Psalm 19, I mean, such a beautiful, great psalm, there's the first part of it, which most of us probably know, extols creation and what creation accomplishes, how creation declares the glory of God, how creation talks to us about God and the world that he has made. Uh, Katrina was there on Monday, but Monday um, we were out of school, and so uh, Katrina organized some folks to go for a walk, and I don't know what that trail is called, but it's, I don't know, Rosecrans and Beach, it's that water tower you can see on the hill up there across from, is it Ralph B. Clark Regional Park or whatever? So there's a set of trails, you can walk up to it. So we, we walked up to it. I mean, 13 and a half years, I've never been on those trails, walked up there. I don't know if you paid attention on Monday, but it was a beautiful day. I don't know what had happened. The rain had been the week before, so I know that always clears our air out, and the wind had picked up, but it was gorgeous. You could practically read the Hollywood sign. You could see the, the cranes at Long Beach that lift the containers off of the ships. You could, you could more or less see the ocean. I mean, it was just so amazingly beautiful and clear. It was just an absolutely gorgeous day. The creation, oh, we saw the Clarks, that's right, we passed the Clarks on the way up, um, and, uh, but, you know, it, the, it just it was beautiful, it was just screaming, I felt like God was just screaming, like, pay attention to what I've made, and it was one of those moments where I, like, dare anyone to tell me California's not a beautiful place, Southern California's not a beautiful place, right, so creation is great, but then Psalm 19 says, but so are the words that God gives us, the law of the Lord, the written words of God, Right? So creation is awesome, but hey, so are my words. And that the law, like creation, is life-giving, and we are to desire it. It is desirable that we should crave the words as the word of God, the law of the Lord, as much, if not even more, right, the text tells us, than creation itself. Uh, I used to do some spiritual direction um, and I, I, I don't anymore, but um, I would direct some folks and um, every now and then, and not just, not just from them, but in, in working with students, at some point I would often just say to these people that I spent time with, you know, where do, where do you go to church? And more than once over the years, like, well, you know, I don't go to church. I really enjoy being outside. Like, yeah, so do I. <laughs> I love being outside. 
and I go to church. <laughs> you know, like those are not two incommensurate things. And so I'm reminded by this psalm that like, yes, I get it. Like creation says beautiful things to us. We go into nature to enjoy it. But boy, to desire the law of the Lord in the way in which this psalm tells us, in the way in which the Israelites bowed their heads to the ground when they heard the law read to them. Wow, to have that kind of reverence for the words of God. And then we come to our reading from 1 Corinthians today. And I, and I really do like this reading. I mean, it is a great reminder that no matter who you are as a believer, no matter how God has gifted you, there's a place for everyone in the body, that we need all of us working together, that we are one body and that body has many members. Again, just like those Israelites came together as one body to hear that word read to them, so we are one body yet many members, right? So it doesn't matter if you're a hand, a foot, or an eye, or whatever. We all work together to be the body of Christ. And so then skipping to near the end, now you are the body of Christ, but individually members of it, so our individuality doesn't get lost in this collective embodiment together, but also, it can't just be about me. I have to be part of this bigger thing. Because of that, now that we're, because we're members of the body of Christ, individual members of it, God has appointed in the church apostles and prophets and teachers, those who do miracles, those who have the gift of healing, helping, administering various kinds of tongues. So there, there's the tongues, but there's the part that comes back to words. Right now, now we're talking about the gift of tongues, words that aren't written down. These are words that the Holy Spirit gives to people with the expectation that someone is there to interpret those words for the benefit of the congregation, right? So in other words, God inspired his words in the scriptures, but he has more words for us on occasion. And we need to be attentive to that and hear those words. And, and those words, that gift of tongues, is for the building up of the body of Christ. That just like the Hebrews, again, in, in Nehemiah responded to the hearing of the word that we as God's people, if someone were to speak in tongues, that it were to be interpreted to us, that it would build us up and bring us together, that it would cause us to worship God, to respond to God. And so in one sense, we're told to desire the higher gifts. And one of the groups I was having session with the other day were wrestling with, what does this mean, the higher gifts? That sounds crazy. He just said everyone's kind of equal. Now it sounds like he's saying, like, some gifts are better. Go after the better gifts, you know? And, of course, you have some sciencey students in there, and they're like, I'm sorry, but, like, you can live without your hand, but you cannot live without a brain, <laughs> you know? <laughs> what? You know, I'm just kidding. I think we all know that, but, you know, or, or can't live without a heart, you know, those kinds of things, or at least without a machine doing the work for you. And so, so yes, I mean, maybe I don't fully understand verse 31, but I, but I do know that there's this potential where God will speak words into our life, not just from his word, the inspired word of God, the written words of God, but yet through his people that he's gifted in this way. And then finally, we come to Luke 4. And if you remember last week, we talked about how uh, in John's gospel, because we had the woman at the well passage in John chapter 2, in John's gospel, Jesus' public ministry begins with the miracle at the wedding in Cana. But for Luke, the gospel that we're in tonight and will be in, it begins with his words in the temple. Right? It doesn't begin with a miracle that Luke decides to have Jesus teaching in the temple to be the moment where Jesus begins his public ministry. So there's Jesus in the temple, right, in his hometown even, and he goes and he takes the scroll 
And he opens it up to the prophet Isaiah, and he reads. And let's notice three things. First, Jesus speaks in the power of the Holy Spirit. He's not doing this of his own power, of his own abilities, right? As a human, he is not doing this. He is inspired by the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit, we're told in verse 14. I think in the way in which the people, the Israelites gathered after the rebuilding of the wall, even though the text doesn't tell us this, the way in which they reverenced the word, the way they responded to it, clearly the word was empowered by the Holy Spirit to have people respond to it. And so Jesus speaks in the power of the Holy Spirit. Second, his teaching leads people to glorify him. Of course, we talked about last week how that's a loaded word in John's gospel. Right? In John's gospel, for God to be glorified, it means for his divinity to be seen. Maybe Luke's got something similar going on. It's hard to tell from this passage alone. But this teaching leads people, it tells us in verse 15 explicitly, to glorify Jesus. And then lastly, Jesus as Messiah is the fulfillment of those very words of Isaiah. That as he reads this text, mostly from Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2, but Jesus uh, omits one phrase from that Isaiah 61, 1 and 2, but introduces another phrase from Isaiah 58, 6, set at liberty those who are oppressed, as an interpolation from Isaiah 58, verse 6. Right, this mostly Isaiah 61, with a little of 58. Jesus is reading this, and it's about him. Right? They don't know that. So far, they think Jesus has just come into the synagogue to read, and he picks it up and he reads. But Jesus is the fulfillment of these words of Isaiah. In Johannine language, we would say something like, the word is the fulfillment of the word. Right? He who is the word sent from God in John chapter 1 is the fulfillment of the word or words of God as given to the prophet Isaiah. One commentator I read says this, the Isaiah passage offers a vision of God's transformative work of healing and release that Jesus as God's son and agent is to perform. Again, the Isaiah passage offers a vision of God's transformative work of healing and release that Jesus will then perform. Right, so Jesus is reading Isaiah and said, these are the things that are gonna happen. Proclaim good news to the poor, proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, set at liberty those who are oppressed. I'm going to do that, Jesus says. This is about me, right? Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Again, the word is the fulfillment of the word. So as we think about words, right? Words read that lead people to worship in spite of their circumstances and to respond to those words in celebration, right? Words that point us to God and give us cause to celebrate in the same way that the good creation, the beautiful creation does, right? Words that come out of people's mouths who are inspired and given the gift by God himself and then interpret it for the building up, for the benefit of the body of Christ, then the words of Jesus, which proclaim him as the Messiah, the one who's going to come and do these things. Words, 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 words. Lots of words. And tonight, as we reflect on words and the use of words in Scripture, we need to remind ourselves, too, that, that there is a proper and good response to the word of God, read and preached. And that is to celebrate and to be joyful in God. Yes, to recognize the truthfulness of what the word is making us notice in ourselves. 
right? We're not to ignore the power of the words if they become uh, a mirror, if you will, of our condition, but at the same time to take comfort in those very same words that Jesus has come to bring deliverance from that. And so the proper response to any hearing of the word of God is to celebrate, to be joyful, to throw a party, if you will. And as we hear these words, it's to reflect on the fact that he who is the word has come as a fulfillment of these words. And that these words, all words, including ones that may come through the gift of tongues, are for the purpose of pointing us to Jesus, of building us up in him through the power of the Holy Spirit. In a couple of weeks, Steve will be ordained. And he's going to make a set of vows. He's going to utter a set of words. And I will encourage Steve, like I try to do myself around my anniversary of my ordination, as I go back and I read those words that I said. And I'm sometimes comforted and sometimes appalled at what I vowed and how I have failed to keep those words. But by being ordained a deacon, he's also going to be given a Bible. Because as a deacon, one of the roles is for a deacon to proclaim the word of God in the midst of the congregation. And so Father Steve and I are going to be put out of a job here pretty soon, right? As long as Steve is present, he has to be the one that will read the word of God, because that's the job of a deacon, not a priest acting like a deacon. So, well, priests are still deacons, but when you have a deacon in your midst, you, the deacon does the work, right? So we're putting ourselves out of a job in that sense, that he will be the one that stands out there and proclaims the gospel for us. And as we hear those words read by him, and as he's made promises with his words of holding fast to those words that he utters, we need to join and be prepared to join with Steve that we will respond to those words that he proclaims, just like we see in today's readings. So in the midst of a world where we all traffic in words and words are around us all the time, may we be careful to hear the word when he speaks to us whether that's through the word of God, through his inspiring of others to speak into our lives through the gift of tongues and other means. And when Steve, in a couple of weeks, begins to proclaim that word in our midst, let us respond to those words in the ways that the scripture guides and directs us, to celebrate them, to hold them up as a mirror to see in the ways in which we need to change, but then realizing that it is God who will use those very same words to change us. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.